Grace on Fire, episode 73. You're listening to Grace on Fire, home of Grace Nation. It's not just another podcast. It's the voice of a movement. Join now at MyGraceNation.com. MyGraceNation.com. is the the fourth time that I've recorded this. Hopefully we're going to get it right this time. And welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty. And I am your online pastor. And my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And welcome to the show. Today's show, I am asking this question, how to be ridiculously honest with yourself. And today we're exploring this question by taking a deep dive into what is known in the coaching world as the good enough principle. And that is the question we're asking today. Do you actually believe that you're good enough to be doing what you are doing? Well, my friends, if that is you, if you are exploring the question, are you good enough? This is the episode for you. And I'm going to tell you why I'm, I'm talking about this today, because the truth, the truth where I'm at today in my life is that I'm asking this question, have I been completely honest with myself? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I struggle with self-honesty. I struggle with uh, self-criticism. I struggle with perfection. Uh, and if you want to know how I've struggled with perfection, this is probably the fourth take on the intro of this episode, and I'm just going to roll with it today <laughs> because I honestly, I sat here four times trying to nail this intro and it's only, you know, the intros are only like 35 seconds long. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I just kept, you know, it's like, stop, Jonathan, we just got to move forward. And and part of it is I'm still recovering from a cold. So if you are regularly following the show and you noticed that last week I did not have an episode, that is because I decided to take a little bit of a break and um, for let allow my voice to rest because I was so sick. There's been this mafungus thing just sort of flowing flowing around Central Florida, and um, I just I just could not talk. Excuse me, I could not talk uh, without coughing every thirty seconds. And so I think I'm uh, mostly through that. I went for a run today. I did a little five k in the neighborhood. And uh, supercharged on running and the after effects of exercise and a little bit of coffee. And so I'm here today turning my attention to this conversation that I want to have. And that is, again, cultivating honesty with yourself. You know, I, there's, I've been doing some self-study here on, in personal development. And that's been the theme all, uh, all fall long and, uh, or all episode long or season long, however we want to describe that. I'm not really sure how I would describe it, but in this process of development, one of the things that I've come across has been this theme of the good enough principle. Are you good enough? And in my life, I don't know about you, but in my life, as I said, 
uh, at the very beginning here, my own quest for perfection, my own quest for perfectionism actually has worked against me. Actually, it has been a huge, huge barrier in my life where um, my quest for perfection is actually focused or has actually held me back from achieving the things that I want to achieve in this life. And uh, you only get one life. You only get one shot at this life. And uh, and then it's over. And then you're you're done. Game's over. And then you're moving on. Now, we as Christians, we know and understand that there is a life after this life. But this life is the only chance that we get to go through the process of maturity, growing uh, as ourselves, learning who we are, ultimately moving to that place of authenticity in our life where we're completely comfortable with ourselves. And so, in my life, where I have struggled, I think, with more than, this has probably been one of the greatest struggles of my life, and that is, am I good enough to do X? Am I good enough to do X? And the question is, where in the world did this belief come from? Where did that happen? And so, if this is a problem that uh, you've ever faced or that you can recognize or you can uh, appreciate, that this episode is for you. And we are going to be talking about the issue of whether or not we are good enough. And so, on the show today, we're going to be talking about that and how to work through that by cultivating honesty. And then uh, we have a little bit of theology, a little street theology that we're going to do. So, hang on to the episode. I'm super excited about today. It's great to be back here with you on Grace on Fire. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And on this section of street theology, we're talking about we are what we worship. Now, one of the main tenets of personal development is the following. People act in accordance with who they believe they fundamentally are. All right? Let me say that again because it's critically important. People act in accordance with who they believe they fundamentally are. So, if you were to look at yourself, and, and we do this passively, I wouldn't say that we do this actively, but if we look at ourselves, we look inside the mirror, and uh, we say we are X or we are Y, uh, we will act in accordance with whatever image that we project onto ourselves. So, uh, if you believe that, you know, you're uh, a pastor, okay, for example, whatever your image, whatever your concept of a pastor is, you're going to act in accordance with that pastor and sometimes with that image of a pastor. And sometimes what happens is, is that we do that um Almost subconsciously, we do that um, in, in a way where we are not realizing that we have this operating image, this operating vision of what we think or what the way way we should act or how a pastor should be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happens is with the man that steps into that role, then he will act in accordance with that role. And so we add all of these things onto our lives, and then we wonder, well, you know, why isn't this working? Why isn't this a good fit? And where is the problem? And the truth there is that sometimes we are living inauthentically because we have a vision of ourselves that does not quite fit with who we actually are. And so there's a conflict that begins to develop. Now, I want to just suggest something to you that this is extremely, extremely important because 
as it relates to scripture, that one of the things that we also do is that we set things up, which scripture will call idols, and they become objects of worship. Now, you know, everyone talks about money being an object of worship. Uh, everyone talks about careers, all of the typical culprits um, that, you know, we would set up, in, particularly within evangelicalism, as, as an idol. And, and, you know, and that's all good and well. But what we want to understand today is what is the effect of these things that are on us? What is the effect of our worship on the person, on the psyche, okay? In in this the worship here, we're not talking about bowing down and, and those sort of things, but we're really just talking about devotion to something, all right? So it could be anything, your devotion, where you're spending your time, what you're thinking about, how you are working in your life, what is it that has your focus? I mean, you know, there are people in this world who they go to conferences like Dragon Con or Comic Con, and they're really into science fiction, or they're really into comics, and all those things are really cool. I mean, there are Trekkies out there who are really into Star Trek, and and so what happens is, is it becomes to consume their life, and, it, and they, be, they take on these roles, etc., that these conventions portray. And you look at that and you say, well, that guy's weird. But we do that in almost every facet of our life. And so scripture has this fascinating verse that I want to bring uh, to attention because there is an insight here into the human psyche where we have this ability to conform our lives to all kinds of things, to all kinds of places. That is, is that we have this ability to take an image, to take a concept, to take some kind of picture and make it our own. All right? Now, here's the principle. We become like the idols we worship. Psalms 135 and also Psalms 115 have an identical phrase. It's a parallel phrase here. And this is what it says. In Psalms, we're going to use Psalms 135. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And then here it is in verse 8, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Now, notice the principle here, that phrase there, those who make them become like them. Now, I want to suggest to you that there's a very powerful, powerful connection here between our devotion to whatever it is and the result that it has on our lives. That is just that when the psalmist is writing this, he's looking at those who worship false idols. And, and back at the ancient world, you know, there was false idols everywhere. I mean, that's just what you did. You would carve out, a, you know, an image of a cow and then say, oh, great cow, we worship you. And you would look at this cow and say, you are an image of our God. And there was all kinds of images of God's all over the ancient Near East. And they would fashion them out of gold. They would make them out of silver, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of what, um, well, it's not kind of, but that's what the psalmist is writing to. So that in the ancient world, 
the spiritual, the psycho-spiritual reality of people was that they would worship images. Now, we do similar things today. We, uh, we will set up an image of the entrepreneur, for example, who is living this radical life of freedom, and he has the ability to make money magically appear. It almost seems like magic. Um, and they have podcasts, and they write books, and they're gurus, and they're in the spotlight. And you look at them and say, wow, I want to be just like them, Right. That's what we do, because there's something about the human nature that is that we look to other people and what they have, and then we compare ourselves to it, and then what we do is we actually emulate who they are and what they're doing. And the folly of this is that if we're putting our trust in anything else other than God, what Scripture actually says is that's a dead-end road. It's not going to take you anywhere. And so the Scripture here, verse 8, those who make them become like them, well, how is it that they become like them? Well, notice the dead senses that are listed here, okay? Um, They do not speak. They do not see. They do not hear. They don't smell. They don't feel. They can't walk. They're going nowhere. It's It's a dulling of the human senses, And in the ancient world, that's all you had. You had your senses. You were looking around. And so, it's almost like the idea of a zombie here, in my opinion. And, and, you know, we could liken it and compare it today. Is that that something happens that we we become comatose into a focus or or, or, or we become uh, almost in a trance of some kind of object that we are worshiping. And what Scripture wants to do is it wants to rattle us and say, do you really want to be like this dead God? Because that's what your devotion is. You are literally worshiping something that is going nowhere. And that is a hard thing to wrap our minds around. We are what we worship. Now, that's a very, you know, if we we were just to stop and to consider this for just a moment. You know, what happens in our culture, and, 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 and this is something that I see, and it's something that I struggle with. And what it is, it's the sin of comparison. And what we do is we compare our lives, our focus, our skill sets, and we look at somebody else and we say, gosh, you know, I'm comparing myself to them. Or I should expect my life to be like them. Or, or gosh, I wish I had what they had. Or gosh, I wish I had this or that or the other. And so what we do is that we begin through this process of comparison, focusing on the negatives, focusing on the things that we don't have, focusing on the careers that we don't have, focusing on the uh, our own seemingly uh, inabilities to affect anything in our lives. And then when as we become focused on those negatives, then we wonder why we always get stuck in these lives. And so what I see here in Scripture is that whatever our object of focus is, ultimately, that is going to begin to define who we are. Now, let me just give you a really good example of this. Um, I came from a Baptist background. I was raised as a Southern Baptist. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is how profound um, there are, let me just say it this way, um, how there are different cultures within each different denomination. Now, one of the 
interesting things about my own journey and my own spiritual journey in this life is that I've attended Baptist seminary. I've attended a Methodist seminary. I've attended two different Presbyterian slash Reformed seminaries. And one of the things that I observed was how the culture of each one of these denominations shapes and forms the idea image of whatever that pastor is supposed to be and how that pastor is supposed to behave, even how Christians are supposed to behave. And so you find these interesting dynamics where you're interacting with different denominations. And what you're beginning to see is how the emphasis in each one of these denominations shapes and forms the person. And so then when you get a per two people from two different denominations, you put them together and they begin to try to talk theology. You wonder why they're having conflicts or you wonder why they can't seem to get along. This actually happened in my own marriage where growing up as a Baptist, one of the emphasis that I was, um, you know, one of the emphasis that I heard over the years was living in God's will, that you wanted to live in God's will and that you could live outside of God's will and you could live inside God's will. And the problem there, of course, is that how do you know if you're living in God's will? Well, I mean, as a mature Christian now, I can look at that and say, well, scriptures pretty much plainly teaches that God's will is devotion to Christ. But when you're growing up in that, you have this paranoia, at least I did, that develops where you're wondering and questioning, am I really in God's will? And then when things go wrong, oh, maybe I'm not in God's will. And I can't tell you that how that created a problem in my marriage because my wife was raised Presbyterian. And Presbyterians are very clear about what God's will is, because it says that in in their catechisms, uh, which is their teachings, you know, and basically, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's God's will right there. And I never, you know, had a catechism like that in the Baptist church. And so my wife's like, well, your God's will is to enjoy him, right, and be devoted to him. And I'm saying, no, God has a unique plan for my life. And so what we were doing was we were actually talking past each other. Okay? And so how this shapes and where I want to bring it into this conversation is that we are what we worship. That is our focus, our attitudes, our minds, our interests, all of those things, if they are not focused on God. And that we're not constantly bringing this back into devotion to God and understanding who God is and what he has done and what he expects from us, then what's going to happen is that we're going to import, all right, we're going to import other things into our lives that may be poisonous to our lives and detrimental, and we don't even realize it. So we have to be extraordinarily careful on how we define ourselves, what we say we believe, you know, and how we even look and view God. Why? Because of verse 8, those who make them become like them. And so I want to suggest to you today that the key idea here in all of this is that scripture is emphatic about our devotion, about our focus, about what and where we ultimately find meaning in life. So ask yourself today this question, what are you worshiping? And now it's time for our feature presentation. 
And that brings us to our feature presentation, how to be ridiculously honest with yourself. You know, one of the things I've found to be the hardest thing to do in the world is to be honest with myself. And I think that the reason why it's it's so hard to be honest with myself is because at some point you have to get to that, you know, realization that says, hmm, maybe I haven't been as honest with myself as I thought I have been. Maybe the things that I say that I want, I really haven't wanted those things. And maybe I've said those things so much out of devotion to something that I've allowed to define myself versus really just getting to grips and saying, this is what I want. And I have to tell you that um, this is the process of maturity. I think this is the process of life where, you know, as you're in your 20s and your 30s, what you're trying to do is you're just trying to earn. You're just trying to make a living. And so what you do is you sort of look around and say, huh, that looks good. I'm going to try that on. Hmm. Oh, let me try this over here. Hmm. Let me try that over there. And you, you know, if you're like me, what you do is you end up experimenting with different things and you say, well, this didn't work or that didn't work or gosh, I really thought that was going to work. And then that blew up in my face. And gosh, I really thought I wanted that. And actually, I really ended up hating it. And, and those things happen, and that is part of the process of maturity and development in your life where you have to just try things for a little while to see whether or not it's going to work. And so um, I, this morning, this, this idea came to mind as I was reading a blog post that Michael Hyatt released on LinkedIn. Now, I don't know if he just released it or not, but it was written actually by Jeff Goins, who was another big, uh, big time uh, online uh, personality. And Jeff Goins was relating the story where he was uh, so busy in his business, running his business, that he had grown it to a seven-figure um, uh, seven business, but he was extraordinarily consumed by the business. And what he had thought was that if he had just continued to develop his business and grow his business, et cetera, that um, he would get to that place where he would have more time to do the things that he liked to do. Well, if you've been in business long enough to realize that that's not the way things work. Usually when things grow larger and larger and larger, more and more time is required to manage whatever it is that's growing. For example, in my family, you know, when we move from one kid to two kids, the uh, uh, our time demands begin to grow. When we move to three kids, it really began to expand because we're having to spend time just shuttling kids back and forth to all the different kinds of programs, et cetera, sports, athlete, you know, sports things. And my actual, um, my actual free time has begun to shrunk as my family has expanded. Now, I know that there will be a time in the future where that will begin to contract because the kids will become adults and they'll move on with their own lives, etc. They'll have grandkids and then I'll sit back and watch them with all their struggles and I'll go, ha, 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 ha. No, I won't do that. Well, maybe I will do that. But, you know, the, 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 the critical piece here this is this, that if you're not honest with yourself, that when you get down the road and more and more demands are placed on your time and you have less and less free time to actually think about it, that if you start off with the wrong foot, you start off in with the wrong trajectory because you've lied to yourself, guess what's going to happen down the road? You're going to look back and you're going to ask yourself this question, well, how in the world did I get here? And you, you, and then you, you know, you'll look back on your life and say, well, 
Well, I made the decision because of this. Well, why did I make that decision? And, you know, and you just keep asking yourself this question and you just keep moving on and on and on and on. And you go further, further, further until ultimately you realize, hmm, somewhere, somehow, something was wrong and it's impacted me all through my life. So what I want to do here is I want to give you two categories to work through as you're thinking about this, because this issue is so important in terms of moving towards a place of maturity in your life. That is moving to a place where you are at peace with yourself, you're at peace with your family, and you fundamentally can answer, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, where you can get to that point where you say, no, that's not the direction for me. And I want to suggest something to you that that requires a place of maturity. And so there's two forms of honesty that I want to focus on here today. The first one is what I call negative honesty. The second one is what I call positive honesty. Now, you're probably asking yourself a question, what the heck is negative honesty? And, (laughs) you know, as I thought about this, I, you know, I said, well, how do you, how do you be ridiculously honest with yourself? Well, you have to, you have to understand what honesty is, right? Honesty is just focused and devoted to truth, where you're speaking truth into your life, where you're speaking truth about yourself, about your situation, where you're trying to get to a, a, the, you're, you're trying to get to reality as close as you possibly can. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we all have these skewed perceptions of life. You have a skewed perception of my life. I have a, a skewed perception of your life. I have a skewed perception of my life. You have a skewed perception of your life. That is to say that you see yourself through a certain lens, but I may see you differently through a certain set of lens. Because I am not you, and you are not me. And each and every one of us walks around in the world trying to get to a crystal clear understanding of just who we are. And it's very difficult to get there. It's very difficult to have honest self-evaluation. In fact, I want to suggest to you that it takes work. And so this is where we get back to this idea of negative honesty and positive honesty. So negative honesty typically is saying, What have you told yourself that isn't true? What have you told yourself that isn't true? That is to say, to look through your life and to say, you know, I told myself that I wanted this. And the fact of the matter is I really didn't want that. Why did I choose that? And so in this aspect, in this pursuit of negative honesty, you're having to get to a place where you're asking yourself this important question is, how did, how did this come to, how did I get to this place where I arrived here because I told myself things that weren't true? That is, I lied to myself. And typically speaking here, this is where, when we talk about honesty, being honest with ourselves, this is what we're mostly talking about, negative honesty, trying to you know, get to that place where we said some things about ourselves and you know, it just wasn't true, all right? The second thing, though, like I'm too dumb or too, you know, too fat, too this, too that, whatever, and I just can't do it. I'm not good enough. And we're going to get to the good enough issue in just a moment. But there is also the second piece of this, which is 
positive honesty. And that is asking the question and getting to the place in your life where you really are honest and say, well, this is what I really want right here. This is, this is what I really love. This is, this is what I want to do. And when I do this, I feel joy. I feel peace. I feel secure. And that is a scary place to be because very often when we look at positive honesty and we look at that kind of, of just truth about ourselves, we're afraid to admit that. We are afraid to say, this is, this is what I really want. Why? Because we're afraid of what other people will say. And they'll say, well, you're crazy or you're dumb or you're this or that or the other. How could you possibly walk away from your career, et cetera? Man, I've had all that kind of stuff told to me and, at, and said upon me. And so positive honesty takes great strength. It takes a lot of, bra- uh, it takes courage. Um, and But you have to work through this. What is it that you really want in life? So let me give you a, a good example of positive honesty. And this is just something that just came out of my, my life uh, recently as I've been reflecting on this issue. So I was invited to, uh, by my kids' preschool, uh, to play the part of Gabriel. And this preschool that my son is a part of, he was a part, is attached to a church that I would call or classify as a very modern, contemporary, evangelical church. It's not a super mega church. It's about three, 400 people, maybe 500 people. I mean, that's getting up there, right? Um, but it, it has the lights. It has the screens. It has the very contemporary look and feel about it. You walk in. There's no pews. There's chairs, etc. Um, they've got great visual effects. And for a long time in my life, I always said to myself, "Mm, I don't like this or no, I don't want to be a part of the show. Why? Because I'm godly and I want to worship God and those things are distracting. Now, I probably would have never said that to you if you said to me, Jonathan, why don't you like this? Okay. I probably would have never just come out and said that honestly. Because somewhere down the road in my life, I said, I can't have those things. I'm not good enough for those things. And so I began to lie to myself. And so this is where honesty, negative honesty and positive honesty begin to work together. That is, is that they're really two sides of the same coin. So I had to get to this place. So I'm in my kid's preschool thing and I walk up there and all of a sudden the lights hit me. I'm on the stage and something deep down inside happened. All of a sudden, having the presence there, there was something that I really liked. There was something about being there that I said, man, this atmosphere that I'm in is really cool and it gets me excited. And I like this. And what is it about this atmosphere that is really appealing to me? Not in a prideful situation, not in a prideful say, well, look at me. It's all the attention is on me. Because the fact of the matter is, is it wasn't. It was all on the kids and, and it was adorable and it was wonderful to be a part of that. But what was it about the setting that caused this feeling that I had that said, man, I could really get into this. And what is it about the setting that I'm in that doesn't appeal to that? And so that was one of the questions that I really began to wrestle with in my mind. And what I call it is the show, 
And, and that is to say that when I was younger, I was very critical of contemporary churches. I was very critical of these mega churches. And, and the reason why I was critical of those groups and these, um, and, 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 and those operations, do you know why? Here's the honesty. Because it was modeled for me. That is to say that there were some spiritual authorities in my life that I allowed to be an authority who criticized those things. And so I thought, oh, well, I need to be critical of those things too. And so I just sort of absorbed their negative criticism of these modern groups and and then said, "Hmm, I don't like that. But deep down inside, that wasn't true. And so the question that I've had to wrestle through then is that, well, how did I get there? And why was that so powerful? And why was it so subtle? And what I began to realize, and I began to kind of work through deep down and begin to journal, 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 this question is, is have I been completely honest and transparent with my life? And the answer is no, not at all. And why? Well, let me tell you a story about something that happened to me. And so much of our pathologies that we we struggle with, so much of the patterns that we have, we've inherited from our parents. And so much of the things that we wrestle through in our life is behaviors that were set in motion a long time ago. And they're like operating software in the background, and we don't even realize that it's happening. And so, for example... <clears throat> When I was a child, uh, when I was in second grade, okay, I was all of seven or eight years old, okay, probably seven. No, I think I was eight years old because my birthday was in November. And um, I was all of uh, eight years old and I um, I landed in an opportunity of a lifetime for a kid. And this is what it was. Um my piano teacher, I was taking piano lessons. I think I had taken piano lessons for all of two or three months. You know, all I could really play was chopsticks on the piano, right? And um, my piano teacher noted that I had a musical ability, all right? And that's true. Um, I do have a musical ability. I, I studied music for a long time. I've sang. I've, I've played in bands. Um, and, you know, all that, all that stuff. I've done all that. And... Um, so he noted this in me that I, I seemed to have a musical talent. That is that I could sing on pitch and that I could learn songs and that uh, I had a musical ear. And so anyway, so as that was, you know, very um, early on in my development, Epcot uh, at Disney World's um, Epcot Center attached to the Magic Kingdom, they would put on a Christmas show every single year. And being a kid in Orlando, they would naturally reach out to the local community and say, hey, we have the show. We're looking for our kids. And actually, they were looking for two boys. They were looking for two boys out of, you know, how many, you know, thousands of boys that were in Central Florida at the time. They were looking for two boys that would come in and be the um, child star of the show. And so I uh, went, my parents, you know, found out about this opportunity through the piano teacher. The piano teacher said, hey, go take your kid. So we did. I went and was um, um, tried out. I was casted for the part and I got the part. Incidentally, I also landed the part of being um, the lead uh, character in whatever my second grade play was. So I remember at that period of time in my life, 
as a second grader, extraordinarily stressed out, um, but also in the midst of performance. Um, I was on stage. There was lights. There was this great band, particularly at Epcot. I mean, there was this great, you know, it's it's Disney World. So it was this great orchestra that was behind. Um, and it was me and a girl named Jessica. And um, and believe it or not, there was the the lead star of the of the show was Debbie Boone. Now, if you don't know who Debbie Boone is, she was a big star, pop star in the early 80s, etc. Her dad was Pat Boone, who was a, a big uh, singer and I guess before, you know, I don't know, the 50s. Um, I sort of get that feeling. But anyways, um, that was an incredible, incredible thing that happened to me. And so for two or three months, I was working my tail off as essentially a child performer going to practices after school, having to learn all the parts, having to learn all the songs, having to learn how to dance and sing, all of these things. And, you know, if you look at me today, you'd be like, wow, I would have never associated you with that, Jonathan. And, you know, hey, um, this is my true story. This is this is part of me. All right. But this is what happened. The show ended. The lights were turned off. The band quieted. And it was over. And that intense period of time came to an end. And I made a little bit of money through the whole thing. And the next year came along. And I was really excited about it. And I went back and I went through the whole thing again. And um, I, I had to be, I had to try out again. And that time I didn't get the part. Now, that marked something in my life, and I never realized it. And what happened was, we got a phone call one day, and my mother answered the phone, and she said, Jonathan, we just got a phone call, and you didn't get a part. And I asked, well, Mom, why didn't I get the part? And this is what was said to me. She said, I was too big. Now, I was probably too old at that time because I had, did go through a growth spurt. I was in third grade now. They really were looking for that cute little adorable first and second grader with that voice. And there's a big difference between a second grader and a third grader, looking back on it now. But let me tell you what was also going through in my life at that time. Because at that time, I had gotten chubbier. Um, I had put on some weight. You know, kids go through this awkward stage where they go out, then up. And I went out. Um, and, uh, I kept being told that I was fat. I got it from, you know, school. I got it at home, et cetera. I was fat. And when I heard my mom say that I was too big, I told myself, oh, I was too fat. And that's why I didn't get the part. Now, let me tell you what happened to me in my life from that point on. I internalized that belief that I was too fat. And so when I struggled in sports, oh, I struggled in sports because I was too fat. Oh, I'll never forget in third grade, or excuse me, fourth grade, when a little girl named Lacey, uh, I wanted her to be my, my girlfriend. And she said, you're too fat and I would never like you. She was really mean, actually. And again, that message, you're too fat. And then later on in high school, I struggled immensely in relationships and I could never understand why. And I was picked on because I was too fat. 
And then as I got older and as I got later into my uh, teenage years, I really went through an incredible depression because no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much I tried to diet, I never fundamentally understood how food worked. I never really understood how my body was shaped and worked. I didn't understand the role of exercise. And by the time that I had gotten into my sophomore year, my body image was so uh, morphed, it was so negative, that even when I look back and had really begun to develop and put on some muscles, had been running, and really began to mature, I sabotaged myself and walked away from all sports, which was contributing to my own athleticism at that time. Believe it or not, I was running, I was in crew, I was getting in great shape, but I kept seeing myself as too fat. And then one day, I ended up having a problem or something shifted. I don't even remember what it was, but all of that activity stopped. And guess what happened? I went back to saying to myself, oh, this happened because I was too fat. And that negative body image began to plague me to the point where I was so down on myself. And basically what it ended up being was this, I cannot achieve in life because I'm simply not good enough. And whenever I would go and interview for a job, I would say, I probably not get it because I'm not good enough. And this was a lie that began to develop and permeate in my life. And so, as I said at the very beginning of the show today, that people fundamentally act in accordance with who they believe they are. So, I kept saying to myself, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I'm too fat. So, what do you think I did? I began to do what fat people do eating inappropriately, not caring about whatever it was that I ate, and I would just put on weight all the time, and my weight would fluctuate over and over and over again to the point to where at my heaviest weight, I weighed almost 240 pounds, all right, which was, now I weigh about 205, so that was 35 pounds ago, uh, et cetera. My waist had gone up to, ballooned over 40 inches, and I was miserable. I was just an obese young man. And so what ended up happening was I began, I got to a point in my early 20s where I got sick of it and then I began to diet and I began to exercise and I got my weight under control. But then it would just go vacillate back and forth over the years and I would, it would constantly be a reminder that I was simply not good enough to do whatever it is that I was set out to do. And that is what I'm talking about negative honesty here. What did I tell myself that wasn't true? Instead of focusing on my abilities academically, instead of focusing on my abilities, you know, as a communicator, instead of focusing on all of those things, I had gotten to a place in my life where I was lying to myself. So when I got to this point in my life today where I am sitting on the stage and I'm experiencing all the lights, I began to ask myself this question, what is it? Why did I ever say that I didn't like this or I didn't want this? Why did I say that these things were wrong? Where did this come from? And ultimately, the conclusion that I had to come to was to say this, was that I had somehow felt so rejected after my experience with Epcot so many years ago that I was afraid of going through the rejection again. And so, in order to, be, to avoid the pain of going through the rejection again and going through the letdown because I was too fat and because I was too bad, because I could never possibly uh, overcome that because this was fundamentally who I am, right? You see how this stuff begins to work together? 
that I had told myself and had justified to myself and said, I don't want this, but that is not true, is it? That there was all kinds of things that I want. I mean, I am fundamentally a performer. It's what I love to do. I love to stand up in front of people and communicate. Uh, as a pastor, I love to communicate God's truth. And, you know, as a as a communicator, I like to stand and cultivate atmospheres that are, are going to be presentable to people. If you haven't noticed, there's on Grace on Fire, I love to bring a certain ambiance to the show. Um, you know, a little bit of an gritty, aggressive kind of show uh, so that we can kind of get through the stuff and make it entertaining as possible as we can, right? And that, and I love doing that. Why? Because I love to be a part of a person's life and to bring joy. I love that. And I have denied myself that all these years because I wasn't honest with myself. Cultivating honesty in your life is the only way to move forward in life. Let me say that again. Cultivating honesty in your life is the only way to move forward. And if you have this limiting belief where you're just simply saying, well, I'm not good enough, then I'm going to ask you this question, well, why in the world did you ever, where did that ever come from? You see, the only person that you can ever be is yourself, And you shouldn't allow someone else to come in and compare you to somebody else and allow you to stay in that mold or allow someone else to impose a mold on you. Let me tell you something. If you don't come to grips with who you fundamentally are, and remember a couple episodes ago, I asked you this question, who are you? If you don't come to fundamentally, if you don't come to grips with who you fundamentally are, then somebody else will always impose their template on you. So the other day, someone asked me this question, and I, and I think it's a great question, and it's a question that I think is so profound, and this is the question. They said, Jonathan, what is it that you desire in life? And I thought, hmm, what is it that I desire? Well, do I desire a boat? Do I desire a big truck? Or do I desire this? Or do I desire that? Well, there's all kinds of things that I want, but the question is, what do I desire most? And this was the answer that came to mind. What I desire most is ultimately to discover who I am and to live as an authentic life as I possibly can. Why? Because in God's sovereignty, he saw it fit to create me. And so, therefore, Since he saw it fit to create me, the unique person that I am with all of the attributes that I have that make me fundamentally me, and that God saw that in this crazy universe in this world where he had infinite possibilities and that in this infinite possibilities that he decided to create me, this a person, ultimately myself, That the only person who can ever possibly know who I am and to live as authentically as I am as possible is me. The only person that can ever be you is you. And no one else can be you because they're too busy being them. And so you don't need to compare yourself to them. What you need to do is compare yourself to you. So when you strip out all the lies that you've told yourself, 
when you begin to develop positive honesty, asking yourself, what is it that you really want? What is it, Who is it that you really are? And beginning to the grips where you're fundamentally comfortable being yourself, then you can move forward in your life. You see, ultimately, crafting your life for a higher purpose is, is a journey inside your own soul, a journey into who you are. And the only way that you can journey inside to who you are is begin by pulling away all of the lies that have been told over you, all the lies that have been said about you, and all the lies that you said to yourself, and then positively growing in or positively speaking out what it is that you want inside you. Now, hear me say this, okay? I am not talking about collecting stuff. All right. What I am doing and what I am saying is getting to that point in your life where when you say no to somebody else, you're not afraid of letting them down because what you're doing is you're being authentic to who you are. That doesn't mean that you don't uh, have responsibilities in life, and that doesn't mean that you don't allow, um, it doesn't mean that you don't care for other people. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. But in order for the community to benefit, we need you to be who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, if you're saying to yourself you're not good enough, then ask the question, where did that come from? You are already good enough to be who you are. So, be who you are and don't worry about anything else. Because ultimately, the test of our character is only going to come through your relationship with the true God, through your devotion to God. John Calvin said it this way, he, and, and I love this, and it's so true, and I want to just ask you to cling on to this. Here it is, ready? John Calvin said that you cannot know God until you know yourself, and you cannot know yourself until you know God. We are what we worship, and the only way to authentically begin to know God is to also begin to authentically know yourself. And so you have to strip away all of these lies and strip away all of these things that are in your life to get to the very core of who you are and then to say, God created me and he loves me for who I am. So ultimately, in conclusion, let me just kind of leave you with this idea today. Lying to yourself only slows your maturity and distorts your character. Lying to yourself only slows your maturity in this life and distorts your character. So ask yourself this question. Is there any area of your life where you have not been completely transparent with yourself? And that brings me to the end of this show. I know this was a heavy show, but let me tell you, it is a critical place to be. And now, as we always end, remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit MyGraceNation.com.